if a purchaser refused to get title insurance, it would be very difficult to find an Ontario lawyer that would do the deal. You're listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hello, Right Club Nation. It's Laurel Simmons here. Before we get started, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Have you checked out our online community yet? I really hope you do because our online community is a place where you can find lots of education, training, and information about real estate investing and about general business. Plus, it's a great place to network with like-minded people. We have interactive forums, all our podcast episodes, and tons of videos about a wide range of topics. It's free to join, so be sure to come grow with us at therightclub.com. Now, on with our podcast. Right Club Nation, welcome to this week's podcast episode. I'm Sarah Larby and I'm here today with Alfonso Salemi. How are you doing, buddy? Doing great, Sarah. Doing great. Uh, love getting back in the swing of things, recording more podcasts, meeting so many of the Right Club community. You know, we were talking about this uh, just before we started recording. Selfishly, it's the best part. Of, of doing these interviews and podcasts. I know the Right Club community gets so much value listening to these conversations, but us having these one-on-one -on -one conversations, getting back in touch with the community, be, being, being there in person, one-on-one, -on -one, having these conversations with experts and what they're doing every single day, it's impossible to know everybody's area of expertise and where you come from and, and, uh, and, and the questions that we ask. So yeah, so much fun and, uh, and really enjoy doing these. How are you doing, Sarah? I am doing awesome. I really enjoyed today's podcast with Diane Ullman from Integris Law. And uh, we really, really talk about so many things from a, a legal standpoint and a, a real estate investing standpoint. I think it's a great informational podcast. Diane's been a Bright Club member, you know, part of the community for many, many years. And, you know, it, it's, it's so nice to be able to hear a, her story, but also from, you know, a, a lawyer standpoint, so many awesome insights that we can apply today to our real estate investing business. So I hope you guys enjoy today's podcast. Don't forget, leave a rating, leave a review and register for free to create your profile and get access to so much more at therightclub.com. Let's bring in Diane. Welcome to the Right Club podcast. We have Diane Ullman from Integris Law. Welcome, welcome. We're so excited to have you on here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, that's that's great. As we were uh, as we were just uh, getting prepared to, to start recording, you know, we're talking about this year. It's been uh, well, it seems like oh, the last little while, last year and a bit. Uh, all different types of changes come along with real estate and all the different things in terms of schedules and how we're managing and working from home and still doing everything that we can. And I know typically the law society is one of those older antiquated systems that always takes a little bit longer to get up to date, but they've done a great job. But uh, you know what? I'm really excited to dig deep, learn all about you. So if you can give us a little bit of an introduction for those that are listening, your background and, uh, and yeah, what, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Sure, sure. So I'm Diane Ullman. I'm a founding partner and co-owner of Integris Law. We are, now we can say we are a province-wide residential real estate law firm. And I say province-wide because that was one of the huge benefits of COVID is that the banks, most, most of the banks allow electronic signatures on uh, mortgage documents. So now uh, I'd say 99% of our closing meetings with clients are done virtually on Zoom. And uh, so it, it has made our practice extremely flexible. We can offer, you know, evening, evening um, and weekend and client appointments and you don't even have to count the commute in the in the appointment time anymore so it's been it's been quite great yeah that's that's like one of the best things that came about from a legal standpoint is to be able to do everything on zoom you print it off you just show them like you're like every like everything is done you don't have to go anywhere it just makes it so much more simple and so yeah. how long have you been practicing law for Right. So I've been a lawyer called in Ontario for over 10 years now, and I originally started in litigation and I honestly, I had a blast doing it. I loved my appearances in court, um, but the 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 balance between the number of hours you spend by yourself at a desk in front of a keyboard drafting endless documents to the amount of time you spend in court it's probably a factor of like 10 hours 15 hours of prep time to maybe an hour in court so i'm much more of a people person so i ended up switching over to uh, residential real estate because it's just a lot more client facing and i actually call it happy law because people are usually really excited about buying or selling or even if they're refinancing and paying off a whole bunch of debt they're happy to get that weight off them so it's a very it's a much different experience and i love it yeah that, that's fantastic and i want to back it up just one second because when real estate law you guys unfortunately get, sometimes get lumped in with you know closing costs and legal fees and it's like a line item when investors are, you know, doing their due diligence on, you know, on a deal. So, you know, what does, what does a real estate lawyer do? You know, I, right. I have ideas. I know Sarah's worked with, you know, and has your ideas, but what does a real estate lawyer actually do when we're, you know, sure. doing the closings and the legal fees? What are, what are we actually paying for? Right on. So honestly, we're the last top on the deal. So a lot of times our work is kind of, I'm, I'm saying overlooked only because it's a bit of a black box. You just show up on a Zoom meeting with your lawyer now, you sign some documents, all of a sudden your name's on the title and we were just, like you said, uh, an expense line on a, on a, on a account sheet. So the point is, this question, what does a real estate lawyer do, was actually asked to me by, um, by a family friend's four-year-old this summer. And it's nothing, yeah, it's, it's quite something to have a four-year-old kind of question your whole existence and how do you like boil it down so a kid can understand what you do every day. So really, there's kind of three areas. Um, so really, when a real estate um, deal is about to close, uh, we're confirming three things. We're making sure the right people are signing all of the documents. We're making sure the right people are involved, especially if we're talking about a corporation that's either buying or selling. Um, if there's multiple directors, are enough directors signing all of the documents? Because some of those um, articles of incorporation say two of three directors need to sign everything. So we're confirming that. Number two, we're confirming information about the property itself. So that's probably what, what most people think uh, a real estate lawyer does is check the title, make sure there isn't anything unusual, any odd encumbrances, liens, all of those things. We're double checking that. And then the last thing is we're confirming the money. So there's there's always money involved. We're the we're basically holding the money uh, 
between if I'm on the buyer side, I'm I'm holding our our buyers uh, funds, mortgage funds and some of their cash, and then I'm transferring it to the seller's lawyer. So the point is, you've got two complete strangers transferring a lot of money. We're pretty much the middle people transferring transferring the funds, but also we're confirming where that money is coming from. We're making sure that your mortgage terms are what you expected, what you thought you signed originally with the bank or the private lender or whomever. So we're just making sure that everything is, uh, is good to go. That's a very good, simple explanation that, you know, like you said, you, you just brought it down to like a four-year-old level, which is, which is awesome. But you, and you talk about title and that made me think of title insurance. And uh, if you wouldn't mind just explaining a little bit what that is, why it's important and what could happen if you potentially don't have it. Right. So I would venture to say if a purchaser refused to get title insurance, it would be very difficult to find an Ontario lawyer that would do the deal. So historically, a lawyer would write an opinion letter, go through all of the title, um, the, the historical title books uh, to confirm that the, that the like, chain of ownership is correct. Now all of it is electronic. We can do it from our desk for the most part. And, um, and everything is certified by the land registry office. The caveat to that is sometimes there is something that didn't transfer over to the electronic records. So title insurance covers the new brand new owner for any issues that may have happened in the past. But also I think more relevant is uh, it also protects you against things like title fraud, mortgage fraud, those types of things that could happen in the future. So your title could be perfect today, you're the new owner, but something really shady could happen in the, in the future and your title insurance covers it. Um, there are some other things that it does cover, like if the seller takes off and doesn't pay out the last of their utility bills, which they should, your title insurance covers that. So that's not going to be out of pocket to the new purchaser. Um, but yeah, there are, there are many things. And honestly, I really, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend you don't get title insurance and you only have the option as a buyer if you're buying the home um, with cash without a mortgage. If you're getting a mortgage, title insurance is going to be a requirement. Today's podcast is brought to you by Legal Second Suites. Ken Beckendam is an amazing real estate investor. He understands the process of the conversion inside and out. And he has built one of the largest by volume design build firms in the GTA that specializes in legal multifamily conversions, anywhere from two to 15 units. And he's been involved in either the designer or the contractor in well over 250 conversion projects, which resulted in over 600 legal dwelling units. That is a lot of legal dwelling units. And Ken and his team at Legal Second Suites, they cover everywhere from Halton, Niagara, Haldeman, Norfolk, Brant, Hamilton, London, Tri-Cities, Barrie, York, and anything in between. He's one of the few firms that can complete the entire process for you from design to construction to property management. So it's truly a one-stop shop. So reach out to Ken at LegalSecondSuites.com. Again, it is LegalSecondSuites.com. And now back to the show. And it doesn't seem to be that expensive either. Like what are you seeing in terms of cost for title insurance? Right. So it, it varies depending on if it's a detached, if it's a condo, uh, where it's located, the value of the purchase price and also um, the value of the, of the mortgage itself. So those all get kind of weighed, weighed together. So, I mean, on the, on the low end for a condo, it could be 
about 180 bucks, 150 bucks in that range. If you're talking about like a $2 million, you know, home in, in, you know, the GTA, you're looking at perhaps like 15, $1,800, depending on the, the mortgage values involved, but it's a one-time fee. So, um, it, it really is, it it's, it's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, de definitely worth purchasing that, that title insurance on that property, you know, and, and I want to go back to, you know, were you finding some things, encumbrances on, on the properties? And I'm sure you've had some great stories on some things that you found, you know, we've purchased over 200 homes and, you know, luckily nothing too crazy. It's been sometimes, like you mentioned, you know, um, utilities not paid out or maybe some back taxes or things like that. But what happens if you're there, you're on closing date or a few days up until closing and you see that, I don't know, like ABC construction company has a significant lien on the property. Walk us through that worst case is, you know, closing getting delayed. How does that, how does that all get ironed out or worked out? Right. So if something is registered on the title, something like that, um, like a, a notice of pending litigation from a contractor, that absolutely, if, if I was representing the purchaser, I would absolutely want that dealt with. Because then if my purchaser closes uh, on the day they're supposed to, it means they're not able to get the title clean. Uh, there's going to be this this lien, this encumbrance, this um, this like black mark basically on the title. So uh, in that situation, depending on you know the the motivations for my purchaser, sure we would ask for an extension so this contractor situation can be sorted out. Um, in other in other situations, sometimes there's essentially I'm calling it a lien, but basically it's a writ. It's called a writ against an individual. So it's basically there's a court judgment against one of the sellers, so against their personal name. So it actually doesn't appear on the title of the home, but it it appears when you search their personal name on the, on the on the registry. And in that situation, it could be a court judgment for uh, CRA tax back taxes. Like there's lots of reasons. Um, Family Responsibility Office is actually an, uh, one that pops up quite often. And those situations, it actually depends on the value involved. Um, because if, if, say, for instance, you have a name similar to somebody who has a court judgment against them, uh, they can make a statement saying, hey, I'm not one in the same person, and we can just move on with the deal and, and, and carry on, and there's no issue. So it really depends on the type of encumbrance, the type of writ that pops up at, at the time. But that's why we're doing our searches on the purchaser side, just to kind of finish that off. We're doing the searches like one to two weeks before closing. So if something like this pops up, we've got time to address it and correct it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know like we're talking about different situations, but I'm going to give you a situation that I think a lot of real estate investors, and I know this is, you know, you're in the industry, always hear about. So let's just say you, you've bought a house or you bought a, you know, something with vacant possession, quote unquote, you've asked yeah. to be vacant on the contract and you realize maybe you do a, a walk through the day prior that the tenants is not leaving and you can't move in. Maybe it's some, you know, maybe it's a, a house that you're moving into. What can you tell us? Like, I mean, maybe you can give us an example of a situation that happened and maybe you can give us, you know, some, some potential outcomes of what can happen. A, if you close with the tenant in there and B, if you see the tenant is not moving out maybe a day prior. Mm-hmm. Oh, tenant questions. Yes. Uh, 
yeah, hot topic. I feel like I'm I'm talking about tenant scenarios most days of it's, the week. It's our uh, life, right? I mean, we're landlords. Right. We invest enough. This this situation will happen. Hopefully, it doesn't happen to you, but it will happen at some point. I feel like this is very common. I don't know how often you see it, but yes, yes. So it it comes up quite often. Um, this is where if we actually have to do some kind of Go, going a few steps forward, if we have to go to um, the landlord-tenant tribunal, we're also getting like a, a paralegal involved because this is very much like their wheelhouse to appear at, at the tribunal. But talking about closing day, leading up to closing day, we find out there's a tenant that hasn't vacated. Again, if I'm on the purchaser's side, if we have flexibility not to close and just extend it, I would highly recommend extending the closing date because you're, if you close and you take on that tenant, you're pretty much inheriting that issue and now you're going to be dragged into it. Um, it would be better if you were able to extend a month or whatever and hopefully, hopefully that tenant, that's enough time for that tenant to leave. Certainly on the seller side, if you've got a, you've got, it's your tenant who isn't leaving. Oh man, you are on the face of it on closing day, you are in breach of that contract and you're, you've opened yourself, yourself up to liability to be sued by the purchaser because you were not able to, to deliver that home with vacant possession as you contracted. Um, so in that situation, I, as a seller, I would be highly motivated to perhaps do a cash for keys scenario to make sure that tenant leaves. And certainly I would be handing over any cash for those keys hand in hand when their moving truck is already started and in the driveway. Don't send them that money a week before and hope they leave a week later. Um, it's got to be kind of right, right at that moment when they're driving away. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a tricky situation. There's no silver bullet, unfortunately. I wish I wish there were. If there were, we would be like the number one law firm in all of Ontario. <laughs> we could solve that issue. But yeah, you just just keep in communication with your lawyers involved. Um, let them know when you're going through those walkthroughs. Like, hey, heads up! I don't think the tenant has packed their stuff. Uh, just want to let you know so we can get ahead of it. So I just want to summarize it. So as the buyer, if you are trying to buy something that has no tenant in there, it is probably best that you at least have, you save one of your showings, the last showing for, I usually do it the afternoon before so that I could do a walkthrough, not only to make sure if I've asked for vacant possession that that person is actually gone, because if they're not, then I need to let lawyers know to delay the uh, closing. Like you said, as soon as you close, it becomes your problem. But B, I've had situations before where I've had to get two dump trucks of crap moved. And, you know, luckily the seller in this case ended up paying for it and we're fine, you know, with covering the cost. But these are things that you, you could negotiate ahead of time if you at least save your last showing before you actually close if there's any big issues that are in breach of contract. If you're the seller and you've got your tenant there, I mean, that's unfortunately a, you know, a hard battle and, uh, and hopefully cash for keys work. They don't always work, but I think from a summary, you know, be careful on agreeing to vacant possession, you know, if you know that it may not be something that you can do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I remember the first, I don't know, it was probably the first couple of years that we came in and, and, and Sarah, your point exactly, like we, we'd set up a, a walkthrough and there was just 
garbage, let's just say, garbage all over the house, you know, the, the day or two before that we're scheduled to close. There's one, there's actually a car motor in a living room. I've never seen this. I've never <laughs> that's sense, right? So it's not like, okay, you know what, there's garbage and dumped and all right, some people, everybody lives their own way, no judgment, right? All that kind of stuff. But when those those kind of items, once you do close, is there any recourse? So let's just say you walk through and you're like, hey. I saw that engine in the living room. You better get it out of there. And they're like, oh yeah, no problem. And then you do out there, like what, what are the, the steps? Cause I know a lot of investors want to get in there, start the renos or start their project, getting, getting all those things going. What is the recourse of, if you're officially closed, are you just kind of SOL after that? The, the sad answer to that is your, your, your SOL to the extent of your two real estate lawyers being able to, to battle it out because that seller, they're out of there. They're gone. They're not going to be able to find those tenants anymore to get that engine out of the living room. So really, what's the recourse? The recourse is small claims court. The good news is small claims court is, is um, I mean, it's been a number of years now, but the the maximum is $35,000 plus your legal fees. So it's th like 35K can cover a lot of uh, a lot of dumpster removal, thank goodness. But that, unfortunately, that is the recourse and you'd be going after the, the seller, not so much the tenant you're going after the, the original homeowner. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Right Club Nation, let's take a quick minute here to meet our sponsor for the week, Blackjack Contracting. They've been serving Niagara, Hamilton, and Brantford areas, and for the past three years, becoming the area's largest basement suite renovation specialist. That's right, and Blackjack works with real estate investors, both new and experienced, converting single-family homes into multiple legal suites and renovating properties to achieve their maximum potential and value. Absolutely, and they've completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between. They handle everything from permitting and design to final cleaning before you list your rentals. And they also have fully licensed electrical contractors certified with the ESA and take jobs of all sizes. Make sure to check them out at blackjackcontractinginc.ca and also follow them on social media at blackjackcontractinginc. And they say investing can sometimes feel like the biggest gamble of your life, but when you have blackjack on your side, the house always wins. So now back to the podcast and now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to take a little bit of a, a different turn and I want to talk about uh, the pandemic a little bit and just to see what, what's been happening in the real estate market. I mean, you get a view from a legal standpoint. I'm just curious, you know, maybe this is even more of a real estate investing question, but you're seeing the deals come through. You're seeing the purchase prices come through from a lot of investors are you seeing certain strategies right now working better than others or certain, you know, uh, towns or cities that people are doing even better? And I don't know if you're able to share some yeah. of that stuff, yeah. but I'd be interested in knowing. So when it comes to better, like whether they're like return on investment, that I don't know, but the number of deals I'm receiving where the, the property in question is up in Sault Ste. Marie, it's out in Timmins, um, very much way outside the GTA. I'm seeing more and more of those properties happening. And these are, um, these are our single family residences, duplexes, those types of things. I'm not talking about cottages. I'm talking about like actual residences. So I'm seeing a lot more of those over the past year. Um, and, and yeah, so that's kind of, the, that's kind of the main thing for the most part. I, 
I'm not seeing too many fix and flips. Like, it certainly happens, but I'm seeing a lot of buy and holds, especially for those, um, for the, for the, like the Timmins, um, Sault Ste. Marie uh, deals that I've been seeing. It's better cash flow, I'm guessing. I would imagine, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, again, you know, and when you are purchasing, when you're looking at purchasing these deals, obviously the legal aspect comes into play. You want a clean title, all those types of things. But we also work with a lot of different partners, right? And sometimes lenders are like, wait, who is this? Why are you there? I remember even just recently, I walked into a lawyer's office and we were picking up keys for one of our joint venture partners. And they're like, wait, who are you? And I was just like, I just said my name. I didn't say who I was or what we were doing. And I was like made to feel like, here's my ID here. Do you want my blood type? I, I was like, do I need to show a negative COVID test? Right. <laughs> so when you're, when you're working with joint venture partners, uh, you know, come a different couple angles from this, either structuring, you know, we'll talk about that first, maybe structuring that. What's some advice that, you know, you've got a few deals under your belt. You want to start working with joint venture partners. What are some of the you know foundational things that you want to talk about with a joint venture partner? And then obviously putting that into a contract so that, you know, you can, you can plan for that, right. Or any right. disagreements that come in. Right. So I, I think the going into a JV agreement is the easy part. It's how do you get out of it? So that's usually what I'm more, most concerned about in the uh, joint venture agreements is, you know, how, how does one JV partner exit? Or, you know, is there a time frame that all the JV partners are supposed to stay in it and nobody's supposed to leave for X amount of time or the, a year or something like that? So I'm very much um, mostly focused on the exit strategy just so everybody understands uh, the rules. And I'm saying I'm saying that, but I'm asking those questions. The JV partners are telling me what their wishes are on how a partner would be able to be bought out, for instance. Other basic, basic things are, how are you sharing the information? Are you like opening a share drive and everybody's got access to it? Is there one person who's really um, basically the sweat equity partner and the other JV partners are more silent partners, so they really don't want to see every receipt going going on at the, um, every expense going on at the property. Or that, so that is very um, deal dependent. And also, uh, keeping track of the money. So is there a separate bank account or is it running through somebody's personal account? So these are all very uh, important factors. Yeah, great advice. And they say plan the exit before you plan the buy. So that is really important. And I think that that could be a potential con with sometimes using joint ventures, right? As you've got to really figure out the exit because it's not going to be 20 years. It's not going to be 30 years. Right. For the most part, you're going to be exiting and, you know, common is three, five, seven years or, or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are you, you, what are you using as your valuation? What is fair market value five years from now? I'm guessing it's not going to be the impact report uh, if you're talking about a GTA property, right? So also understanding, you know, how are we going to value this property? What are we going to agree on? Like, are we getting appraisals from like three different appraisers, three different real estate agents and kind of average them out or take like the middle, middle of the road. So there's definitely some conversations to be had there. Yeah. And, and you can put some of those, you can put some of that language in the contracts or you can word in that way of, of like, obviously I always call them disagreements because that's the only time you really look at them, right? Is when there is a disagreement, they call, there are called agreements, but is that like saying, you know, at three years or five years or seven years, the length of the term of determining what the value is and putting that language in? 
So Alfonso, I heard you say that on a, on a previous podcast where you're like, I, it should be called a disagreement and it absolutely should, because really you don't need the contract if everything goes perfectly. So really you're, you're planning for the downside, um, for any, and I'm even saying just like minor disagreements, not some big, you know, blow up the deal kind of disagreements. Just, you know, if there's something a little vague, it could, it could cause um, a greater issue among all the partners. So yeah, it's super important. Laying that out nice. 100%. So, you know, obviously where there's lots of JVs happening and there's lots of, of contract setups that, that we've just discussed, but there's also a lot of private lenders and people borrowing private money. And that just seems like it's happening more and more. It's a, either people just, there's not enough deals maybe, and they just want to start <laughs> loaning short term, uh, or people are wanting to be the bank. Cause I'll tell you, there's definitely some pros to just being very, very passive, um, right. from a legal standpoint and, and private mortgages, what are some of the things that we should be aware of as real estate investors? So depending on it really, I mean, I guess, I guess everything I'm about to say goes for both sides, whether you're on the borrower side or the lender side, it's for the most part, any private mortgages that I'm working on or my office is working on, we're working with investors who are either borrowing or lending. We're not so much working with, with private mortgages where somebody needs a private second or third mortgage to pay off a whole bunch of credit card debt. So I'm not even going to be kind of discussing that. But from the investor side, um, it provides so much, so much flexibility. Yes, on the whole, uh, the interest rates involved are more than, you know, a, a Schedule A bank, of course, but wow, it's absolutely flexible. And really the limitations are, are the limitations of how creative the two people are, uh, the, the, the borrower and the lender. So I am seeing a lot more of those. Um, and for the most part, it's, it's the borrowers involved are investors that just have too many doors. They've got too many properties in their own name and the banks aren't willing to look at them anymore. So they're going the, the private lending route. And um, it, it, it seems to be working extremely well. And then from the lender side, yeah, I mean, at a, cer at a certain point, I think it's, it's awfully nice to be a passive investor and just kind of watch those checks get cashed every, every month and not worry about tenant issues, for instance. So uh, that, that's my long-term plan, I must admit. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Now, can you structure this without involving any type of financing, mortgage broker, bank? Can you just go directly? Like if you've got you know, a, a partner that's either borrowing or, or lending the money, can you just go straight to the lawyer and uh, and if so, what's the benefit or the downside to that? So you can, I would say on the lender side though, if you start doing this too much, um, I actually spoke with one investor where he was doing private lending for many, many years and he, he got flagged because he didn't hold his mortgage broker license. So he was lending out too much. So there is an advantage to keeping a mortgage broker involved. Um, sure, they get they get their commission, um, but at least they're they're going through the the steps of like FinTrack, for instance, making sure that the source of the funds and the people involved are confirmed and verified. Um, so I think that was the main issue of this this individual um, that I'm referring to. So so that's that's one thing. But yes, you can go directly to a lawyer. But I, I would recommend keeping a mortgage broker involved because that is their wheelhouse. So with. When, when you're dealing with that, like there's, I know for realtors, they have errors and omissions type insurance. 
is there some type of layer of protection with brokers or if there if you are working with private lenders is there is there something that you can to that equivalent maybe yeah mortgage brokers do as well and they have their their version of like errors and emissions and so do real estate lawyers so that's actually an important point is that um, make sure your the lawyer you're working with has the additional real estate insurance that's required um, so you know not every lawyer can be a real estate lawyer. Really, it comes down to are you paying some extra fees for insurance uh, to get the little check mark on your on your uh, directory name with the the law society? But it's a very important step for sure. So you are covered in multiple routes. If somebody along the way makes a mistake, um, you are you are protected a number of ways. Yeah, great great advice. And just to speak to the you know, the power team around you and the people that you're working with, you want the those professionals in those areas. You can't, you can't be doing all that. I, I don't remember the last time I read a full APS or title search or all that kind of stuff. I know the sections you have to fill out, but you want your lawyer reviewing that and, uh, and putting, putting them up, uh, their profession in front for you to, to do that professional work. So Diane, I think it's, uh, I think it's time for the lightning round. Are, are you ready to get started? I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. <laughs> All right. Very cool. So there's gonna be four questions and every guest gets the same questions. You're gonna give us the first answer that comes to mind in uh, the shortest amount of time possible. So ready to play? <laughs> ready to go. Yeah. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 and check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. Question number one, what is the best advice that you have ever received from another investor or at a networking event? Ooh, keep your overhead low. It gives you so much flexibility if you're not tied down to a whole bunch of a whole bunch of expenses. Very love true. that. Love that. Reduce costs, increase revenue, right? And get that big spread. Nice. <laughs> All right. Question number two. What is your favorite resource for real estate investing? Uh, so <laughs> before we started recording, I was saying that I've listened to the Right Clubs podcast for over two years now uh, when I was first introduced to it. Absolutely love it. And Sarah, of course, your your podcast as well. It's on my, my regular rotation. So I drive a lot. So I listen to them. Yeah, all the time. Awesome. Thanks, Diane. Podcasts are, uh, are the answer then. Number three, Diane, what is the one attribute in your opinion that has made you most successful? Ooh, I would say asking why I was that kid that would be like, why do I have to do that? Why does it work that way? I drove my parents nuts. Um, but I will say, I think it served me very well because it made me question some of the tried and true traditions of how to start a law firm and some of those things that we chose not to do. Um, so I think it's that it's, it's that questioning and, and wanting to figure out why things work the way they do that served me really well. Yeah, 
definitely, definitely in the right profession. I had a younger sister. Well, I have a younger sister that was always like that. Why, why, why? And my parents, you should be a lawyer. And you actually went to go on and become a lawyer. So that's <laughs> yeah, well, my parents were like, ask me later, do it now. Cause I told you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. That was usually the answer that we got. Cause I told you, but, but now asking that, yeah, when a lawyer is asking, you can't just say it's because I told you to, but uh, they got, you got the power of the bar behind you now, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, last question of the lightning round. What does a typical Sunday morning look like for you? Uh, for sure, sleeping in. And for the most part, uh, we're probably up north on the weekends at my at my in-laws cottage. Yeah, and lo love and life up there. Very cool. Nice. So what, what time is sleeping in till? Because that, that's very relative. <laughs> on it, like... For sure, ten thirty. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. okay, so you actually are sleeping in. So some people I ask that, and they're like eight thirty. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, no, <laughs> definitely not. That's yeah, no way. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit more of a sleep in for sure. That's, That's a true awesome. sleep in. Awesome, Diane. Where can the Right Club Nation reach out and find out more? So our website, absolutely. So it would be uh, integrislaw.ca. And certainly you can reach out to me directly at diane at integrislaw.ca. Amazing. That's awesome, Diane. Any last final words of advice for the Right Club Nation? Oh, man, work on your power team. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just, yeah, ask, ask for help and ask why. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you. What a great chat with Diane and what a, what a great perspective that she brings to the table. She's an investor herself. She's looking at it from the legal perspective. She cleared it up for me what real estate lawyers actually do. Cause like I said, we get it tied up all legals and closings and all that kind of stuff and how you can protect yourself. We talked a little bit about the title insurance as well, but having a great real estate lawyer on your power team or a few to get a couple different opinions, so important. So if you haven't reached out or talked to Diane, definitely get in touch with her. Uh, Sarah, what did you think of the chat? I thought it was great. You know, what is really cool is now we have access to any real estate investing lawyer that we want across the country because they all have gone to zoom and virtual so we have access to really build our team where ontario you know coast to coast in terms of ontario doesn't really matter we can uh, we can pick the best people for our team so i i'm really excited that based in the last two years and the changes that have happened, we've been able to not have to go in person anymore because of the banks and the lenders. They don't require in-person signing and uh, doing some stuff virtually, you know, not everything, but this has, in my opinion, been a huge asset of not having to uh, A, you know, commute, but B, it just expands the opportunities of picking exactly who you want from a legal standpoint on our team. Yes, absolutely. And, and we all have you know, our different paths of our, as real estate investors, as, as professionals, as we're going on and, and bring those people that you want on your team to help you. And everybody does it a little different way. So you can learn from Diane, works in Ontario. Like, like Sarah said, we have, you know, professionals from across the country that we can take the best advice and the best strategies and apply it to how we want to do. It doesn't need to be exactly the same. There are no two 
that ever are exactly the same. Remember that. Don't when you sometimes you are comparing or looking at or or saying, oh, I need to do this or look, that's what they're doing and this is what I need to do. Make it your own journey. Remember why you're doing it and bring the people in that are professionals and the best in their industries to help you along the way. So yeah, great chat and uh, really love doing these podcasts. Hope you guys enjoy them. If you do, please don't forget to rate, review them, share them with a friend. And of course, get on to the rightclub.com website and uh, have your voice heard and hear everybody else's as well too. So until next time, come come grow grow with with us. us. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.